Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, and I gave Mitch the day off. I wield that kind of power here on the show. It's really impressive, honestly. <laughs> Steve and the scripts that you've given me to, to respond to all of your points were really well Yeah, written. just stick to that if you will. I got you. Eric Ruby's with me here on Arizona Sports Saturday today. Uh, as we get prepped for game one of probably the most interesting series that the Suns have had in quite some time. I, I loved the Clippers series for what it was. I think if you just looked at the games, the wins and losses at a four and one, and they went in five games. It doesn't even come close to telling the whole story of what happened. Uh, if you want to look at the whole no Kawhi Leonard for most of the games, or at least the last three, no Paul George in that series, fine. That's kind of the narrative that's been built. This series against Denver is going to answer a lot of questions for us. There's questions about DeAndre Ayton. Can he replicate what he did against the Nuggets two years ago in the playoffs when they went Suns and four? <laughs> Sons and four guy. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, there's questions about Chris Paul and his collapse in last year's playoffs. And if he's kind of aging himself out, there's questions about can Devin Booker continue to do what he did against the Clippers, which was legendary. And then there's the ever present question. Are the Suns hitting their stride with Kevin Durant? And that's the big one. Like to me, all of these other questions, they're not irrelevant because obviously there are so many different factors that play into winning a playoff series and even going deep on a run. But right now, the, the Suns are 13 games into the Kevin Durant experience. If we were talking about this at the beginning of the season, everybody would be saying, it's early, give them time to figure it out. You can't put any weight into this, but they're figuring it out in the playoffs. And that makes it harder in the moment but it also makes it more reassuring when they do figure it out. You won your first round series in five games without even getting your second best, arguably could still be your best player in Kevin Durant, involved on offense to the level that he should be. That's not a problem that Kevin Durant runs into often. But they still won. And Katie still almost averaged 30. And yes, there are concerns with Book. Can he go and average 40 points per game in the playoffs? Okay, might be a stretch. But he's also shown that he can do it. And that while the Suns are adjusting on the fly, they have the safety net and the superstar power. And more often than not, that wins playoff series. So to me, it's intriguing that the Nuggets are fully healthy. It's even more intriguing that the Suns are still going to have to rely on their stars as much as they did in the first round now and more going forward. And they should be able to figure it out as they go forward as well. So they should just get better. And we are going to go back out to Denver here in a little bit on the show and, and talk with kind of the, the Denver perspective of this series. Because uh, I'm interested to know when Denver fans and, and even the team themselves, when they look at the Suns, is it about is it more about Durant? Is it more about Booker? Who are they more scared of? Because I'm with you. I think it's more of a two-headed dragon as opposed to when I look at the Nuggets, I'm worried about Jokic. I'm just going to be honest about it. I'm worried about Jokic. And you should be. Anybody should be when facing a team like that. He's the league MVP the last two years and was pretty darn good this year as well. I don't want to discredit Jamal Murray. I think he's a really good player as well and certainly could be an X factor in this series depending on who's guarding him primarily uh, the majority of the time. But I do feel that the two-headed monster of Booker and Durant is a little bit more intimidating than having one really awesome player at the top of your lineup. It's been the formula for championship teams for however long. You never, ever, ever win a championship with just one superstar. 
I don't think Denver will win a championship this year. I don't think Jamal Murray is in that conversation. I think they could very well still beat the Suns. Toronto with Kawhi? Pascal. He played like a superstar. Pascal was really good. He was averaging 25-plus points per game. Kyle Lowry was pretty good back then, too. Right. You can list off the, the Bucks. You have Chris Middleton. You have Drew Holiday. The Lakers, you have LeBron and AD. There's always a number two, and that's what the Suns didn't have. It's why they lost in the finals two years ago. It's why they got their butt kicks last year for one of many reasons. But you didn't have that guy that can look at Devin Booker and say, all right, I got this too. You had Chris Paul who could do that before or maybe do it every other game. Or you had DeAndre Ayton who could lock in on one end but usually not lock in on the other. But you never had Kevin Durant. And maybe that's the most interesting thing for me in this series is I want to see when they hit adversity, which we know they will do at some point. You you do it in almost every series that you play, except for the last time they played the Nuggets. Uh, when one of them does hit the wall, so to speak, does the other one pick up the slack? I think we saw that last round. Not to the degree. I mean, but think about yes, it. You hit adversity. Times. You hit adversity. You get deep, different defensive schemes. The Clippers were deemed cockroaches. They were a terrible team to put away for good. They just won't go away. Yeah. And they were putting so many different schemes at Durant that he could still get his points, but it didn't look like he was there on the offense. Who stepped up? Oh, Booker. By, exactly. It wasn't even stepping up. It was he took over. Exactly. So yeah. I think you already saw them. Hit while it wasn't Nikola Jokic level adversity, it was still adversity that they responded to. I didn't feel that Durant struggled. I guess is my point. If one of them does struggle to like the point where they actually struggle, when the shooting goes cold, so to speak, because there's not a whole lot on this bench that I'm I'm confident is going to uh, take the place of some one of their level of offense. They're going to have to back each other up, and I would love to just see somebody take over. I, I, Kellen Olsen, we talked with earlier, our son's guru, and he made the point that because Devin did it last series, Kevin Durant is likely to go off in this series because if they have to rely upon Devin Booker again to carry the load, now you're all of a sudden, even if you do beat the Nuggets, you're going into the next round thinking, okay, we just we relied on Devin to carry us for two straight series. Can we still rely on that guy? How much does he have left in the I think tank? You, and I think before all of that, with all these doubts about Booker's workload, I seriously think that... He might be dead in the summer, but he can carry, not to that extent, but a similar level workload. He can be your guy for four rounds. He's that good. His, he is proven with his conditioning. He's proven with his toughness through broken noses and all of that. He can be your guy. He can be your number one for four rounds, and you can make it to the finals. He did it two years ago. But nobody wins with just one superstar. Right. Yeah. So it's... Can Booker do this? Yes, he can. And he probably will, more than likely for the next however many rounds the Suns are in this. It's on Durant to also step up to that level or even take over and play better than that. That will propel them to a championship. I think we assume going into this series that we're going to see a lot of Aiton on Jokic. We're going to see a lot of Michael Porter Jr. on Kevin Durant. I think it's going to be Gordon on Durant. Or Sorry, I meant that. I meant Gordon. And then Porter Jr. probably on either Craig or Kogi. Yes, I believe that that's accurate. The question I have is because naturally they're both point guards, does Chris Paul end up on Jamal Murray I or do you have to switch Devin Booker onto him? But then who does Chris Paul end up in an, with? In an ideal world... Chris Paul's guarding the likes of Contavious Caldwell Pope, guarding the likes of Bruce Brown. And that's still, that is still a matchup that Denver can exploit. 100%. Chris has quick hands. He can still get the steal. There's no running around the fact that he can be a defensive liability purely based off of his speed and size at this point. 
But Jamal Murray is going to expose that a lot more than Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope. And what you need is Booker to show that defensive chops against a higher level player. Well, Jamal Murray, I wouldn't consider a superstar. I would consider him way better than any of the guards that the Clippers were playing. Kawhi and Paul George went healthy or better, but that's different. So Book's defensive assignment is going to be a lot different this round against a quick, shifty point guard that can go off for 20, 30, 40 points in the playoffs and has been proven to do it as well. Chris, you got to hide on those other guys because if you have Chris Paul on Jamal Murray, he will average as many points as Devin Booker this series. Yeah, and I think in the last series, you mentioned the Clippers and who they rolled out. At times, you get Eric Gordon. That's kind of like guarding Caldwell Pope in that they're probably going to be beyond the arc most of the time. Yeah, that's something that you can hide Chris Paul on. But looking at Devin Booker versus Russell Westbrook, that's a guy that, okay, if you want to shoot the three, we'll let you shoot the three. Exactly. You can't do that with Jamal Murray. It's a different player, and well, Jamal's not going to be backing down Book, so... Maybe it's just, okay, I'm swapping, trying to get bullied on the physical end to using more of my win to chase Jamal Murray and maybe bully him. It really could be the same result for Book. I have full confidence in Booker on the defensive end at this point. I know that there were doubts before, but even he spoke on it. And like the NBA in its entirety, defense is played as a group. And individual defenders can stand out and be great individual defenders when Everybody around them is doing their job. But when you have to make up for, let's go back to the earlier years, Dragon Bender or Alex Len making defensive mistakes on the back end, Booker can still get cooked. So now that you have a defensive system behind you, you've got Aiton and Durant, which at their best can be incredible defensive anchors. You've also got a Kogi or Craig on the wings, and you're making up a little bit for Paul, who still has his moments with his hands. That lets Booker do what he did in that first round. I think that he's going to be able to keep up with Jamal. It's just a different challenge than Russ, just a different type of player. Before we hit the break, I did want to bring this up too. Uh, Arizona's family announced in partnership with the Suns that they're going to start airing Suns games moving forward. They won't be on Bally Sports, although uh, Diamond, which owns Bally Sports, is not going to let them go without a challenge. But uh, the announcement basically means that you can now get certain Suns games, most Suns games, over the air. A $10 purchase of an antenna could get you access to watching Suns games. Owner Matt Ishbia talking about it yesterday. He basically said that he doesn't care about the money and the revenue either. I'm really excited about the opportunity. You know, we're all about the fans and the experience. And, you know, I, everyone thinks I'm the owner. I'm just the steward for the community. And what would the community want? They want to watch the games. So how do I get the games to more people for less cost or no cost, obviously? And that's what we're doing. And so we figure out a way to figure out to make it so that the games are available. Um, so they can watch every game. And more fans will be created and more excitement around the Arizona uh, community for the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. And we're, we think it's a great day and, a, and hopefully the beginning of a really positive thing for you. For years and years to come it's great for the nba in general and it's it's nothing against bally and i understand that some people had problems getting the the game on bally and that it limits how many people can watch it well you just have to pay for it right so on a base level for the growth of just basketball in general the nba has gone very highlight monetization looking at just the stars just the big plays and it's kind of ruined how people talk about basketball so this is a great way to get down grassroots and just get people to watch the full games and there's no better time to do that than right now because there wasn't this level of excitement with the suns five years ago to the point where you could maybe take this and say this will open us up to millions more people. But people want to watch this team more than anything right now. Yeah, you're right. There's an appetite now that there just wasn't, I mean, three, four years ago. 
uh, for Suns content. And I think Matt Ishbia realizes, too, coming in, he can make a splash by doing this. I've never understood why in sports business that teams wouldn't want as much access to them as possible. And that's whether it's behind the scenes footage or in this case, a television deal where basically their games are over the air. You can again, ten dollars buys you an antenna and you can watch all the games as opposed to paying, I don't know, like 50, 60 bucks a month for cable or whatever the package may be. This is significantly cheaper. There's going to be way more people watching Suns games. Get them hooked to your product and then worry about how we're going to make money off and, of it. And that's the thing with the whole I don't focus on the money. Of course I get it, it does. Right, right. Like I, I get it to a It'll sense come. where he's still making decisions that other owners, other people won't make because there's certain money that's on the table right now. And in the short term for the TV deal, they won't be making as much money. But like you said, if you go from, let's say, about a million people able to watch the game and be involved to doubling, tripling that, you're just going to have more interest. That's more ticket sales. That's more jersey sales. That's more people tuning into your content. That's better for sponsors. That's more eyes on it. So it's a win-win situation. It's not just that they're ignoring the money. It's that they're not being driven solely by the money. And that's a good balance for sports. All right. The uh, fifth round of the draft is still going on. The Arizona Cardinals just made a selection in the draft. We're going to tell you what you need to know about that pick that they just made. Coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mission Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Cardinals just made a pick at number 168 a few moments ago. Owen Papo. An inside linebacker from Auburn. Some interesting uh, tidbits that we've picked up on this individual. He is very fast. Oh, very fast. Eric Rubian for Mitch Veraldis today. And a fun fact about him, their newest Cardinal, Owen Papo. He ran the fastest 40-yard dash time at 4.39 seconds of all the linebackers of the combine. That's pretty good. So say what you want about him. You're not going to go out and say he's going to be an impact maker day one or that he's going to be a starter or he's going to be a stalwart on the defense. But he has an NFL-level trait about him as the fastest, at least in the 40-yard dash, inside linebacker or just linebacker in general the combine. I don't know what to make of this, but I'm looking at his uh, pro football focus page. In 2022, it lists him as 680 snaps in the box. 96 in the slot. Does that mean he was playing some nickel corner? Uh, Two at corner. Two snaps at cornerback. 20 on the defensive line and one deep, which I'm guessing means safety. Interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know what to take away from that. What I'm kind of eyeing here is... What do the Cardinals do with Isaiah Simmons? And are they drafting players with traits that could maybe fill in the role that Simmons has where you use his athleticism and, and his ability to kind of make an impact due to just his pure talent and his, his pure physical traits? Are you looking to maybe have somebody there to grow over the next year or so if you don't pick up Isaiah Simmons' fifth-year option on Monday? Potentially. I hate to assume that guys at this point in the draft really mean anything significant for like how you're building the team going forward. Oh, or what does this de- mean? I think the decision on Simmons was already made. I think this yeah. is just we know what our decision's going to be. 
Let's take a young guy and see what happens. It's like we talked about uh, a little over an hour ago. The Cardinals picked a quarterback out of Houston, uh, Clayton Toon. Does that mean that they're looking at the future beyond Kyler Murray or that Clayton Toon might start while Murray's injured? Not necessarily. We're at the point in the draft where if these guys make the team, that's good. That means that they're impressing. Right. Uh, So I don't think it it means anything dramatic. I just it's interesting that the Cardinals went out and got a middle linebacker when that's the position that they've loaded up on the most. At least it wasn't a top 10 pick, right? At least it wasn't a top 10 pick on an inside linebacker. But I really like this draft from the Cardinals. I can't lie. You snag Paris Johnson Jr. after a couple trades at the six overall pick. He's out of OSU offensive lineman, the highest rated one in the draft. Kyler Murray even said that he wanted it. He spoke on that. Seems very happy to be a Cardinal. Very good. Good football character as well. Something that Monty Asifor, the GM, and Jonathan Gannon spoke about. In the second round, you have BJ Ojulari out of LSU. I like this pick. Guy that's going to come off the edge for you. Little bit undersized. Could maybe fit a Hassan Reddick type mold. And I know there was a little bit of cringe there from people when I said that. But think about it. You've got Gannon coming over from Philadelphia where they used Hassan Reddick in a great, great way. You have a slightly undersized edge rusher that's extremely athletic. And if there's one thing I've noticed, he just has a nose for the football. Where even if he's not the first player there causing all the pressure, he's the one who's at least helping or by himself making the tackle with reads off of what's happening on the field. He may not start the play, but he's going to finish it. And that's what you need. If there's one thing that I'm kind of noticing about this draft class, aside from the tendency to move down a couple of times and acquire some picks for next year, which I think is a smart uh, way to go about things, there seems to be... uh, I don't want to call it a, an a addiction, but uh, it certainly seems like there's a collection of Power 5 guys here. Yeah. There's not a lot of dipping into smaller school guys. You pick a tackle out of Ohio State. We know that he's faced a lot of good competition in the Big Ten. LSU pass rusher. That's a guy who's facing big boys on offensive lines in the SEC. Uh, there are some smaller Power 5 schools. Syracuse cornerback. Uh, UCLA isn't the greatest team, but there's a guard there. Houston's quarterback. An Auburn middle linebacker? I mean, there's some guys here who played against really good competition. Yeah, and you would definitely want that. Ojolari as well played with a good defense. And so to see him be able to fit in and make his impact in multiple different ways. He was lining up all over the place. He was coming from the outside, from the inside. He was creating the pressure. He was finishing the tackle. He was spinning off players. He was... When the pocket was collapsing and the quarterback was moving around, he was really good at tracking them. So he fits in great, and he's played with and against great competition. Garrett Williams, he's the cornerback that was drafted in the third round. He was the 18th overall ranked cornerback. He's out of Syracuse. He's recovering from an ACL injury. But the trend that I've noticed with all these players, it's a lot about the brain as well. Everybody that they've picked has Basically, right off the bat, been either labeled a good character guy, smart, or just incredibly instinctive on the field. That's what Garrett Williams was. He might not be the most athletic, and he's he's a little bit prone to getting beat every once in a while, but he makes up for it because he just he turns it on. Then you go down a little bit more. Michael Wilson out of Stanford, he's had to deal with a lot of injuries, but great route runner, has made some good catches up at the top, and if you want... You got a little bit on me for saying this, just a little bit. But if I'm going with the Hassan Reddick somewhat comparison, maybe best case scenario for Ojolari, watching Wilson, he made a couple moves and a couple grabs that reminded me of somebody who plays in the style of DeAndre Hopkins. And you went there. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He will not be DeAndre Hopkins. And if he proves me wrong, that would be fantastic. But 
He high points a lot of balls. He uses mostly his hands. He beats receivers, and even when he doesn't, he finds a way to go over top of them. If he catches the ball and he's wide open and all the attention's coming at him, two, three, four guys all there, he just finds a way to slip out of it. Little spin move, and you even watched some of the tape with me. Yeah. After I said it, you said, you know what? He does play a little bit like him. It's the spin move for me. The spin move. Most of the rest of it, I mean, receiver is receiver, but it's the spin move for me. I saw several times where when he receives the ball within, I mean, we're talking like curl routes within 10 to 15 yards. Nothing major. Upon catching the ball, he likes to spin. It's one of his favorite things. He looks like Dwight Freeney out there putting on the spin move. And you know what? That's something that DeAndre Hopkins, I would say, has perfected. And it's part of the reason that when DeAndre Hopkins catches the ball, you can be sure that he's probably going to get at least three yards after that because he's going to spin out of a tackle. That is one thing that I observed from Michael Wilson that I really enjoyed. John Gaines, he was the next pick out of UCLA, sticking with the Pac-12, which, yes, is Power 5. He is, again, praised for his... Football mind, his versatility, he started at four positions, mostly stayed at right guard, though. So you're probably going to have him stick around there, maybe a little bit of center. But he's also not the greatest prospect. His footwork needs a little bit of work. He's not using his hands as much that often, but he he can fit in a couple different places for the Cardinals. Again, that's a fourth-round pick, John Gaines, right guard out of UCLA. Something you hit on, that he could play center. Maybe. Because I, that is the most blatant, obvious hole on the offensive line. Rodney Hudson didn't want to play anymore. He's going to go away. You don't have your starter at center. They also lose Justin Pugh, which means that they'll probably just slide Josh Jones in at left guard. Maybe Paris Johnson Jr. gets a chance at that position. They have a couple of options there. I think center is the most obvious hole that they probably should have at least attempted to fill. Maybe John Gaines they view as a future center. I don't know about that. I don't know what their thinking is there, but we talked uh, yesterday when they were early in the second round. They had that 33rd overall pick. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. goes 32, or sorry, he goes 33. I can't remember what the number was. He goes the pick before to the Steelers. Right. All of a sudden, the guy that I wanted, the guy that Gamble wanted, the guy that a lot of people wanted, the cornerback was gone. What do you do with that pick? They ended up trading down, gathering some more assets. They picked the pass rusher out of LSU. But what they could have done is they could have gotten one of the best, if not the best center in the draft, and solidified a position along your offensive line, along with Paris Johnson Jr., it's one thing they could have done. Right, and when you're taking over a team that basically needs holes filled everywhere, it's hard to address everything, but I think they've done a pretty good job. You get offensive linemen in the first round, especially somebody that can protect your quarterback for a long time going forward. And the you guy get, that Kyler wanted. Exactly. You get an edge in the second round, somebody who's extremely athletic, looks like he could be versatile and fit into Gannon's defensive scheme. You then go corner in the third round. That's, again, a position you're very thin at, especially with Byron Murphy Jr. leaving. Wide receiver, Michael Wilson out of Stanford. He fell because he's been injured. He was still a really good talent, somebody that could make a roster, could have the type of skills set and the body type to stick around in this league. And again, you don't know what's going to happen happen with DeAndre Hopkins. And then you're looking at Hollywood Brown and Rondale Moore as your receiver. Then you go offensive line and John Gaines. Then you go quarterback and Clayton Toon, which was interesting, but again, security. And then the most recent pick, Owen Pepo out of Auburn. He is a linebacker, and he's a quick one at that. Uh, the Cardinals do have two picks remaining. They're both six-round picks. 
Uh, those are at numbers 180 and 213. So two picks left. Uh, if that does happen before the end of the show, which um, eh, 180 will probably happen here relatively soon, we'll uh, keep you up to speed on all of that. All right, coming up next, how much are the Denver Nuggets sweating the Suns before this series that starts today? We'll take you back out to Denver. We're going to get their side of the story. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Morales, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch has the day off, so Eric Ruby, nice enough to sit in with me today as we are talking about many things. The draft is still going on. The Cardinals just made a pick a little bit ago, uh, but also in the NBA playoffs, the Phoenix Suns taking on the Denver Nuggets in Game 1. That starts today, and for that uh, preview of that series, we're going to go out to Denver, talk with my good friend Darren McKee, host of The Drive on Denver Sports 104.3 The Fan. D-Mac, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, it's good to talk to you guys. Here we go, right? The, <laughs> the, the virtual NBA championship starts tonight. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. It feels like this series shouldn't be the second round. This should be the no. Western Conference Finals, if not the finals. <laughs> well, our guy, uh, Nikola Jokic, said that after they uh, took care of the Timberwolves. He said that he thinks the Suns are the best team that's out there. And and then, it, unprompted, he went through like every single player on the team. It was interesting because they had just beat the Wolves. I, I asked him, what do you think about the Suns? You know, they're their favorite to win the championship. And then he listed every single player on the team, talked about how uh, the starters, and then he made mention of there's not a lot of depth. And he wasn't doing it in a mean sort of way. It was more just factual because he was spending like a minute straight going through everybody and then just stating the obvious. There's not a, a lot with the Suns beneath the surface. But I don't know if that matters or not that much in the playoffs anyways. Do you think that that's something that would swing the series maybe a couple of games, just getting that bench production out of both Browns coming off and the Suns not seeing that on their side? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the bench has some sort of impact, right? I mean, you know, and I've called the the Nuggets second unit, I call the Crayola Box crew. Crayola Box crew because we got Christian Brown, Jeff Green, and Bruce Brown. So we got Brown, Green, and Brown. And really, that's all the Nuggets did off the bench. They sprinkled in a little DeAndre Jordan. Very, very, very little. But basically, the the Nuggets just had three guys coming off the bench, and they more or less dominated the Wolves. Now, the way Michael Malone handles it is he just takes, takes starters, and he mixes and matches. So you always, for the Nuggets, have a couple of starters on the floor, kind of no matter what. And Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell-Pope they kind of float back and forth whether they're going to finish the game or not. They're, Bruce Brown's a virtual starter for the Nuggets. But do you guys roll that deep? I mean, do you feel confident that the Suns have that sort of depth? No, I mean, we know what the Suns are at this point. I mean, uh, you have to worry about Kevin Durant. You have to worry about Devin Booker. On some level, you have to worry about Chris Paul's mid-range shooting, and then DeAndre Ayton's going to get a hair and handful of touches. Anything beyond that is kind of cake for the Suns, in my well, opinion. Well, I do think that there's 
maybe a little bit too far of a line to say they could get no production. They have a couple pieces. Campaign barely even got his feet wet last series. You saw what he can do if he's on bringing a different change of pace. Bringing a Kogi off the bench, he's an absolute dog. He's got that mentality with him. And you could get some shooting out of somebody like Damian Lee. That's when you start to really stretch it. But as we see year after year, it comes down to having stars is what gets you far in the playoffs. Is there any worry in Denver about the second star, or do you feel like Jamal Murray has filled that role nicely? Oh, it's it's definitely Jamal Murray. With, with Michael Porter Jr. having the ability to uh, sort of be that guy on any given night, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. Um, and Michael Porter Jr. has sometimes struggled, but I'm telling you, when MPJ is on, it's bad news because at 6'10", he's, in, he's just like KD. Same, same sort of issues from the outside. Like if KD's on, who's really going to stop him from shooting? And it's, the same is absolutely true of Michael Porter Jr. We're just going to give KD and Booker 60 points. You got it. Take 60 points. All right? Cool. Now what for the Suns? I think that's how the Nuggets are looking at it. That's the difference with the Nuggets team and the Suns team right now. The Nuggets can come at you from a wide variety of angles. And Nikola Jokic will just take what's given to him. He'll never force anything. But if you let him take 40 points, he'll give it to you. But, guys, I've seen games where Nikola Jokic has shot as little as six times in a game and still got a triple-double. It, it, it is that sort of flexibility that the Nuggets have that the Suns don't. It doesn't mean the Suns can't beat the Nuggets like that. I mean, if you get, I mean, if you get sixty to seventy points out of Booker and KD every night, I mean, you know, that could work. It's just that the Nuggets can attack you in different ways to succeed more so than the Suns. That's it. So it's not that the, the Nuggets are necessarily better but they can attack you in a, in a bigger variety of ways. Talking with Darren McKee from uh, The Drive on Denver Sports 104.3 The Fan uh, before Game 1 today. Let's talk a little bit about Jokic for a second. Obviously sure. the number one player on the team. He's been the number one player in the league a couple of times. Is there a way to slow down Jokic? Because we talked earlier with one of our Suns insiders who basically said you can't double-team the guy because one of his biggest strengths is finding the open shooter when you do that. So does he have a weakness? And if so, what is it? He does not have a weakness. He's the most unique athlete I've ever covered in my life. The, The only weakness he could possibly have is if there is something really more serious with his wrist injury on his shooting hand. Although he hit five three-pointers um, in the last game. It's not like that was slowing him down. Uh, there really is. He's the most unique guy I've ever covered, guys. There is, there is zero weakness in his game. Zero. And he's seen everything. He has literally seen. You can't think of a defensive concept Jokic isn't familiar with, okay? So, no, there's absolutely positively no weakness in his game. He's a solid outside shooter. He's unbelievable under the basket. He's a great rebounder. He has touch. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can see the game better than everybody on the court. And he runs a lot better than people give him credit for. He is a point center. He handles the ball up the court the vast majority of time of the Nuggets and then gets the ball to Jamal Murray in general, and he leads the fast break. He is the best basketball player I've ever covered, and he has zero weaknesses in his game. And that's a wild thing to say. Is there any concern on defense, or do you feel just as solid about him on that end as well? He's a, he's a, he is a way underrated defensive player. 
The only thing you got to watch out for in the NBA guys is getting into foul trouble. So, you know, there's, there's these highlight videos of blow-by layups against Jokic. That's all garbage. That's YouTube garbage. That's somebody who just doesn't understand the pace of NBA regular season games. Jokic is a very steady defender, very smart defender, and has made huge defensive plays throughout his career. Um, he's gotten into a little bit more foul trouble, if you notice it, here in the playoffs, because, all right, that's when you got to sort of step up and play a little tougher brand of defense. But, but that's not the real issue. The real issue the Suns are going to have to contend with is Aaron Gordon on the inside and the defense that Aaron Gordon is going to play, not Nikola Jokic. Talking with Darren McKee from our sister station in Denver. He'll be heading out to game one uh, tonight. You had mentioned to me that Kevin Durant has an interesting connection with one of the players on the Nuggets. Can you fill us in on that story? Yeah, it's a really fascinating story. His name is Peyton Watson. He played in the the G League for the vast majority of the year, although he got some light um, late in the season. Six foot eight, seven foot wingspan, tall, lanky defender who um, only played one year at UCLA. And Durant started to get to know Peyton Watson when Watson was in high school. And because he went to UCLA and a lot of the guys work out in Los Angeles in the offseason, he really got to know them. They are very close, very, very close, like in a mentor-mentee friendship sort of relationship. I don't know if you're going to see Peyton Watson during this series, but when the Nuggets did play the Suns um, at periods, especially later in the year, you did see Peyton Watson on Kevin Durant. He's not quite as tall as Durant, but a lot of his other qualities are like Durant. Very tall, lanky, long, that sort of thing. And he's a jump-out-of-the-roof guy. He's, he's definitely like a name to know maybe down the line. I, I don't know if he will play in the series. He hasn't played yet, but they've only played three guys off the bench, period. And one of those guys is Christian Brown, who is a rookie, by the way. So there is a rookie for the Nuggets that does get a lot of playing time. But the relationship with Duran and Watson is pretty interesting. They're very close, and um, I think it's a cool relationship they have. We'll leave you with this. I want to get your thoughts on, and I hate just putting it in this blanket term, but it's kind of the only one used to describe it. Are the Nuggets in a championship or bust type of year? Is that kind of the expectations that are being put on this team? I think that is absolutely fair. You've had a coach here for eight-something years. Jokic here for that time, Murray here for that time, Michael Porter Jr. for that time, no injuries, number one in the West, never have made it to the NBA Finals. Guys, no joke. I I think the Suns, listen, man, you know, Durant came in kind of late. He'll be there for years to come, right? Matt Ishbia is making sure that the games are on TV. Good for him. we got a problem with that here. We should learn from Matt Ishbia. So I think there's there's a lot more... Um, life with the Suns, the way they're constructed, this is it for the Nuggets. I'm not joking, guys. Seriously, if the Nuggets can't contend for a championship specifically this year, when the hell else are they ever going to do it? When are they ever going to do it if they can't do it this year? So I think the right pressure is on the Nuggets for the right sort of um, expectation. Well, Darren, enjoy game one. I wish you luck. Not too much luck, though, uh, but enjoy the game. Thanks, as always, for well, taking the time. All gonna look, we're all going to look for Suns and Four guys. Yeah, we what all, happened to that guy? What you I don't know. I, well, you, didn't you guys build a statue for him? I, I mean, I don't know I don't where know Suns that that's and Four true. guy is.
<laughs> I'm sure if he's around, he will pop up in Denver at some point. So keep your eyes the out. Legend, right? The legendary Suns and Four guy. Yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see him again, man. You know, Suns and Four. All right. Hey, listen, man. You got to give him props. He he was getting yelled at by Nuggets fans. They had the higher ground, and he he won the battle and the war. Yeah, I think he I think he got the last laugh. He got the last laugh, no doubt about it. All right, Darren, enjoy the game, my friend, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, right? all right, sounds good. See you later. As Darren McKee, host of the Drive on Denver Sports one hundred four three, the fan. He's been a staple in afternoon drive for well over a decade. There, it's interesting to get the Denver perspective because. We know how we feel about the Suns. We've been here for the whole ride, which has certainly been interesting during the regular season because of the dramatic change of trading for Kevin Durant. Uh, but this is a team in the Nuggets who have just been nothing but consistent all season. And I found that last answer interesting. Is there going to be a sense of desperation from the Nuggets in this series? If they get down 0-1, 0-2, whatever it is, this is it, it seems like, in Denver. He's kind of right, too. You need to capitalize on a player like Jokic. When else is it ever going to happen for you like that? Uh, the Arizona Cardinals just made another pick in the NFL draft. It's not their last one, but we'll fill you in on all you need to know about their strategy that they've used so far in the draft. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Hey, Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Eric Ruby's in for Mitch today. Steve Zinsmeister with you as well on Arizona Sports Saturday. We are in the, what is this, the sixth round now of the NFL draft. The Arizona Cardinals just made a pick at 180. I have no idea the pronunciation on this. I was looking up uh, game broadcasts. Kytrell Clark is my best guess. Cornerback out of Louisville. Uh, they call him Trey in the game broadcast that I was watching, so I don't know if that's his preferred name, uh, and I might be totally butchering the pronunciation, but kind of interesting. you got the last name right. Yeah, Clark. I feel good about that one. I, they kept saying Clark on the broadcast. I'm like, yeah, I know how to pronounce Clark. Give me the other one. Um, it's a little, at least a little bit interesting. He's already uh, familiar with being a Cardinal coming from Louisville. They also got a Stanford Cardinal, so... That's kind of an interesting tie-in. That's one of the trends. Another one that you pointed out earlier was a lot of Power 5 schools, a lot of big-name schools starting from the top and going to the bottom. You have Ohio State. You have LSU. Syracuse, a little bit on the smaller side. Stanford, big school in the Pac-12. UCLA, obviously. Auburn, that's another big one now. Louisville with Trey Clark. And another guy that you're talking about is mentality. The Cardinals are going for these football players that kind of exude toughness. He's a little bit undersized as well, kind of like their second round pick in BJ Ogilary out of LSU. But he's got that toughness with them. And a lot of these guys have been able to show flashes in college. Not exactly the consistent production. You maybe get that out of your top two picks. But other than that, it looks like the Cardinals are kind of trying to swing big, especially in the later rounds. This is the second corner they've taken. They also took Garrett Williams out of Syracuse, who's recovering from an ACL injury currently. I got to be honest with you. I don't think that you could take too many corners in this draft. I I expected them to take at least two if they had picked three and they and they still may. They have one more pick on the board uh, at 213 coming up in the sixth round. Uh, this makes all the sense in the world to swing for a second corner. The only corner of note on the roster right now is Marco Wilson, who I thought was more than serviceable, pretty good at times. Sure, he's got flaws. I, I don't think he was a top two corner on the team by any means, but if when that's all you've got on the roster, they just have to fill spots. And so I completely understand that this might be a guy 
uh, Clark, who might work his way into the rotation sooner rather than later if he impresses. And I've loved this draft from Monty Austin for, I'm going to be honest, it, it was a little bit of a rough start. Having the compensation picks with the Eagles and kind of getting that feeling of like, oh man. Can we talk about that just for just a second? Sure, let's talk about it. Because I haven't had the chance to like actually talk about this with another human being. Your How world. does this happen? How has it happened that you tampered while hiring a coach? You waited until after the Super Bowl. Jonathan Gannon was a part of a Super Bowl team. If you're going to wait that long, how could you possibly tamper? It's it's a little I know bit you're of a, a new GM. I realize Michael Bidwell's been at this for a while. He's made other coaching hires before. How does this happen? Well, it's funny because they were also one of the last teams to fill their head coaching spot. So exactly who are they tampering with? But I'll let Monty Austin for it. He spoke a couple days ago <sighs> on it. He took accountability. So here's here's what I'd say, guys. Um, you know, I uh, I made a mistake. Um, no kidding. I own that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a situation that we're, we were able to resolve. I've apologized to uh, Michael Bidwell. Um, I've apologized to um, our staff. And, you know, I think the, the, the deal that we worked out, um, you know, it is what it is. And we're just moving on from it. And that's, um, you know, really don't have a lot more to say on it. All right. Look, he messed up. He obviously made a phone call when he wasn't supposed to make a phone call. Yeah. Fine. You, Rookie but, mistake. Can we chalk it up as that, I yeah, guess? But let's, but let's also, can we look past that for a second? As much as I would love to focus on the negative, because I was in the moment. Trust me. I like the negative. I was. <laughs> and I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the trade back. But here's the Cardinals draft picks just for next year. This is what Monty has accumulated through trading back a couple times and still Having some decent players. The future. The future. Next year, they have their own first-round pick. That could be a top-five pick. Could you be. have the Texans' first-round pick. Some people believe they're going to be really bad. I think they'll probably be more in the, the 10-ish range. I don't it's think hard to know five. when you take a quarterback and you that think, will likely start right away. Right, and you think if he's Will great, Anderson, too. Now you're all of a sudden a much better team. Exactly. If he plays like a rookie... That could be a good thing for the Cardinals. You got a new head coach as well in there, and D'Amico Ryan's who's going to try to get things going. But you've got their first round pick. Then you've got your own second round pick, your own third round pick. You have the Texans' third round pick. You have the Titans' third round pick, your own fourth round pick, a projected compensatory pick in the fourth round, two fifth round picks, and a seventh round pick. That's just all for next draft. That's multiple firsts. That's a second. That's three third round picks, which are still high value. You could have gotten a ton of great players if you had multiple picks in the third round this year. Yeah, I mean, they got two third round picks that they executed on this season, uh, getting Garrett Williams corner out of Syracuse, Michael Wilson out of uh, Stanford, the wide receiver. Yeah, those can be very valuable picks. And in the past, even in, under the Steve Keim uh, regime, if you will, Third round picks were pretty valuable at times. So, uh, yeah, I do like that he acquired all these picks for the future. I do wonder if they'll still get punished for the burner phone situation. Right, which you also you could you, but lose you have picks. To be pre- you have to be prepared for that. And you have to also look at the situation that Austin Fort inherited. It wasn't a great one. No. It was not something that was set up for long-term success. And while, yes, this draft, it's going to take years to really know if these players are going to hit. And for the next draft, it'll take even longer. But here's the thing. They're doing it, in essence, in the Patriot way. They're trading back. They're getting a variety of picks. And you've got to trust their scouting. There's a chance that a couple of these names, Trey Clark, Owen Pampo, John Gaines, Michael Wilson, Garrett Williams... These could be players that are impact makers on the Cardinals for a couple years to come. 
That's really not out of the question. Every single year, you see late-round players step up and make an impact, and you see first-round picks become busts. So giving yourself more shots and trusting somebody who's been in the scouting department for over a decade, I like it. I'm not going to say it's the best draft ever. I'm not going to say Monty Austin Fort for GM of the year. But compared to where I was feeling after the last couple of drafts, I'm in a way better place, way more confident. Yeah, I mean, the biggest head scratcher that I remember from last year's draft is taking a tight end at 55. Yeah, that was tough. When it was your second pick because you traded your first round pick for Marquise Hollywood Brown, which I was okay with. I was a fan of at the time. Uh, Still okay with the player. I don't think it was a huge loss. Uh, but when your only other high pick was 55 and you spend it on a tight end, I'm not a fan of drafting tight ends, period. I realize that they carry a value to a football team. I just don't think it's significant enough to take a guy 55. Um, but listen, what you just listed off is great. They're going to get an extra first. They're going to get an extra third or a couple extra thirds. They've got a handful of picks for next year. I think that's important and it's valuable. It doesn't account for what they may or may not get for DeAndre Hopkins or Buda Baker if they decide to trade those guys. It's just the start. And and that's the thing is you have yourself in a position to where you have a plethora of draft picks in your war chest to where if you need to attach one with somebody to get some actual value back, you can if you need it currently. I just, I love it. I'm a fan of it. We'll see how it plays out. I think they're doing good. I think it's cool. I I, I like the strategy. I love Paris Johnson Jr. I'm an Ohio State fan myself, so I definitely have no issue with that pick. Um, They definitely appear to be going big school power five guys, which I think is good because they played against tougher competition. I'm really, I, I think I'm with you. I'm pretty good with this. They addressed every position of need early. And then took some flyers in the later rounds. A quarterback out of Houston, I didn't see that coming. A middle linebacker out of Auburn, not a position of need, I didn't think. I think I could I could dig this draft. They still have one pick, by the way. That's coming up here in a little bit. All right, Eric, thanks for hanging out today and filling in for Mitch. Thanks for giving me the scripts, man. All of your points were great. Hey, you stuck They're to very it. Very easy to read. You stuck to it, man. For our uh, producer behind the glass, Trevor Henry. For my good friend, Eric Ruby. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You're going to want to stick around. Game one of round two, the Suns and the Nuggets coming up a little bit later. This is Arizona Sports Saturday.